We're continuing with our series on 2 Peter. Uh, This is week three. Uh, I've entitled this message, Fully Confirmed. Now this really, for those of you that were able to hear last week's message, when Peter said that the false teachers really have blind faith, faith that is not verified, faith that can't be confirmed, this flows right from that where he begins to explain how while their faith is blind faith, our faith is fully confirmed. Has anyone ever tried to tell you or have you ever heard someone say that this whole Jesus thing is just a myth? All this stuff, especially the supernatural things about him in the Bible, it's all a fairy tale. What does that do to your faith when you hear those things? Does it make you wonder? Do you wonder or even know how to respond to things like that? I mean, they're pretty frontal assaults on what we believe. I mean, how do you know for sure as a follower of Jesus that it's not all just made up? How do you know that you aren't trusting your soul to this clever myth? Why do you even believe in Jesus? What convinced you? Why are you willing to make the sacrifices necessary to live a life in obedience to his commands? What was it about the gospel narrative that convinced you the stories of Jesus are reliable enough to trust him with eternal and, frankly, earthly consequences? Can you articulate why you believe the teachings of Jesus are trustworthy? And if you can, are you able to carry those reasons you believe along to others so that they can teach others as well. That's the issue that Peter is addressing in today's passage from 2 Peter. Now, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 first, but I'm not going to preach on that part because I actually covered verses 12 through 15 in my introduction, if you remember. Verses 12 to 15 are the theme and the reason that Peter wrote this epistle. And here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. I'm going to read uh, 12 to 15 first. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you may know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to at any time remember these things. And look what he says in verse 16. And this is in contrast, right, to the false teachers who he says have blind faith, are nearsighted, they can't even see themselves. He said that in our previous passage last week. Here's what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever born by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit. Now, this passage can be very encouraging if you really understand everything he is claiming in here. Let's look at the history of this passage first. I'm calling this apostolic credibility. First of all, I want you to see that the apostles were reliable witnesses. Look, we see there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 4. This is Paul. Paul says this same thing, really, that Peter says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, here's what he says there, I'm giving to you what I have received. And where did Paul receive it? The same place Peter did from Jesus himself. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. <clears throat> See, what happened is these false teachers that Peter is combating, they attacked apostolic credibility. They accused the apostles of making all this stuff, all their little precious Jesus stories are all made up. And their motivation for doing this, these false teachers, was to hijack the movement that Jesus and his teachings had created for their own personal agenda, their own power, their own influence, their own wealth. We know preachers who do that today, don't we? The false teachers, however, also labeled the Old Testament a useless, uninspired, fraudulent collection of rambling writings. They accused apostles of fabricating Jesus' teachings on sin and his prophecies about 70 AD, which, by the way, two years later would prove to be true, right, about the destruction of the temple. They said all that stuff, Jesus never talked about sin. Jesus never talked about the fall of Jerusalem. Jesus never talked about him being resurrected. He never talked about returning. You guys are making all of that up. Here's the problem, though. Those false teachers, none of them knew firsthand what Jesus taught. They never met Jesus. They weren't even there. Most of them, in fact, weren't even born yet when Jesus was walking the earth. Did you know in the ancient world, talking about the ancient world before Google and Bing, the most important test of credibility was if you were an eyewitness or not. If you didn't see it, you can't say it happened. If nobody saw it, then it didn't take place. That's why throughout the New Testament, the apostles, like the verse I read to you, reminded people that they were eyewitnesses to all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. And as witnesses, they held each other accountable as they claimed joyfully, proclaimed joyfully, all the things that Jesus taught to make sure that what they were saying was in unison and consistent with what, our, what their Savior had spoken about. And this next thing I want to talk about is Peter talks about this voice from heaven. That sounds kind of weird, right? <clears throat> Here's what he's talking about. We actually studied this in our series on the Gospel of Mark. It's called the Transfiguration. That's the event that Peter is referring to. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And there appeared Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter and the disciples did not know what to say before, because they were terrified. And we pick it up in verse 7. <clears throat> and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they saw until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So let me ask you a question. If you were facing the end of your life, like Peter is, you would probably do one, or one of three things, or maybe two of these things, or, or maybe all three. I'm just kind of boiling it down. First of all, some of you might be overwhelmed by the weight of it and do nothing. I mean, the end of, the, end of life is a hard thing to deal with. Some of you may want to start just giving away 
all of your earthly treasures and possessions to loved ones so we could take care of them and express our love for them. That's a reasonable response. And then there's a third response, and I think it's the one Peter follows. Like Peter, you would desperately want to deliver one final reminder, one final message of the most important things that you've experienced and that you've learned because you want people to make sure they know what happened and can tell others. Peter wants, to them, wants them to remember that the gospel isn't, as the, as the false teachers had claimed, some cleverly devised myth. It's a full, historically proven narrative. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But did you know that they, the apostles, along with thousands of others, and by the way, back in the first century, thousands would be like 100,000 today. The population was much smaller. Tens of thousands heard and witnessed many of these events that the apostles talked about in the Gospels. What the apostles were teaching were inspired by firsthand personal experience. And with his last testimony, Peter picks a story that might be the hardest to prove, by the way, but it's a story that he and Peter and James, or James and John, along with him, have probably repeated hundreds of times about a life-altering, personal encounter with Jesus. And that's this story on the, on the, on the mountain of transfiguration. But then he goes into this beautiful narrative about how it is carried along. He says, the Holy Spirit inspires it and carries it along. They could never forget that moment on the mountain, as I'm sure you wouldn't either if it happened to you. Even when they all ran scared when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they still remembered it. And once the resurrection took place and Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came, they constantly shared this story with the early church. And Peter reminds them, as eyewitnesses, we apostles have the credibility to tell you exactly what happened, exactly what Jesus says, he, exactly what his message is, much more than these other voices. Remember, I was with Jesus every day. I heard God, through Jesus, speak to me. You would do well, he says, to listen to what he said to me. And then Peter charges them, the, his readers, not only are we do we have a more fully confirmed word that I witnessed, you would do well to listen, and you should become credible voices after I'm gone. You need to accurately carry this truth to others. <clears throat> Carrying these truths along with their most important purpose was the whole reason that Peter and the apostles lived. That's all they wanted to do. That's the history of our past. Let's look at the theology this week. I want to talk about this reliable record. It'd be good to know if the gospel you believe in is reliable, wouldn't it? First, I want you to see there's this personal experience. I love what we see in 1 John 1.1. We did our series on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. If you remember, you can go back and watch the introductory to 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He says, look, we've seen it, we've heard it, and we felt it. That's John, who was with Peter on that mountain, by the way, remember. These apostles, understand, these apostles weren't idiots. They weren't simple fools who could be easily manipulated by some random madman like Jesus. They were very, and we outlined this in the gospel series, they were very intelligent, extremely successful men. 
Many of them had lots of money. For them to follow Jesus the way they did came with a significantly high cost. Their commitment itself is a confirmation of the trueness and credibility of the gospel. I mean, they walked with Jesus. They talked with him. They spoke to him. They watched him do amazing things, say profound things. Think of how compelling, think think about this now, think of how compelling Christ had to be to convince them to abandon their comfortable, wealthy lives that they knew and to follow him. He even said, the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You still going to come with me? You're going to have to put down your cross and follow me daily. But this story of the mountain is one of Peter's most precious memories out of hundreds of events that they witnessed that he could tell them about. He picks this one. Why? Because it's his personal interaction with Jesus. But here's the thing. The apostles, along with thousands of others, were personal eyewitnesses to all these things Jesus did, all these things Jesus taught, and more importantly, thousands and thousands were witness to the resurrection. Which brings me to this part about the theology in our passage today. I want to talk about eyewitnesses. See, Jesus didn't do things in the shadows. Jesus intentionally created thousands of these eyewitnesses to all these things, did he not? His actions and his words made him the most unlikely, coming from Nazareth, but well-known rabbi slash theologian slash political figure in his day. And here we are 2,000 years later, and no, listen to me, no secular historian with any type of academic credibility can dispute the massive historical evidence of our Jesus. Did you know that? Even those who are extreme atheists, political historians and and, uh, cultural historians, even if they don't believe in God, they will tell you, no, there's an abundance of historical evidence that there was a Jesus and he had a big impact. Hundreds of times Jesus preached to small crowds and massive ones. His doctrine was fully revealed to anyone who had ears to hear. But you know what Jesus also did? He coupled this powerful preaching with spectacular, public, compassionate, miraculous actions. Thousands witnessed him according to prophecy in the Old Testament. The blind made to see, the deaf made to hear, the lame made to walk, and the dumb made to speak. And the apostles, along with these huge crowds, and by the way, within these crowds, some of them were with Jesus and some of them were against him. They were all direct eyewitnesses to these things. Thousands of eyewitnesses saw Jesus feed large crowds, heal people who were known to be sick. Remember I talked about the beggar at the temple gate, that thousands of people every week would walk by, and this beggar had been there for years, the scripture says, and he couldn't walk. Everybody knew who he was. Anybody that was anybody that had anything to do with the temple saw this beggar right there at the gate beautiful every day, every week. And suddenly Jesus comes on the scene and the guy's healed. Imagine the hundreds who saw Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead. And the thousands who heard about Lazarus' resurrection from witnesses. And after his death, these eyewitnesses' stories birthed 
what cannot be denied, a massive global movement of people who embraced apostolic teaching that has continued to echo to this day, unlike any other. And just like the apostles, many of them, especially in the first century, on up to about 330 A.D., many of them who chose to follow Jesus' teaching from the apostles did so at great cost. It wasn't an easy choice like it is today. Which church should I join? I don't know. I like this one because of the children's ministry, or this one because of the music, or this one because of the preach. It wasn't like that. There it was, okay, we're going to follow Jesus, but we're probably going to lose all our money. Our families will probably disown us. We'll be social outcasts. Economically, we'll suffer. We may even risk deadly persecution. And that's why Peter warns, what we have taught you is fully confirmed by eyewitnesses. And you would do well to ignore the fools that have blind faith and listen to us. And then we see he talks about this idea of being carried by the Holy Spirit. That just sounds beautiful, doesn't it? See, yet even with, even with all this evidence, becoming a true follower of Jesus is a result of supernatural intervention. Remember from our Mark series how much the apostles themselves struggled even as they witnessed and heard all these things? They still couldn't put it together in their heads until when? Pentecost. Peter says, these things were revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, and once the Holy Spirit came, the light went on for us. Look what he says in verse 21 of our passage today. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's just a beautiful verse. The word there, carried along, is the Greek word pharaoh. It means to be brought forth. The truth was brought forth. It wasn't created by man. It was brought forth to man. It was revealed to him. Pharaoh, that is the word that Peter uses. See, unlike the false teachers, the apostles didn't create their theology out of thin air. Their hearts and minds were inspired by the Holy Spirit as they heard the teachings of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit, in fact, the same one that revealed these things to me and you, is the one that carried this truth along through them thousands of years later to you and me. Peter says, we have seen the power of Jesus. We've witnessed his transforming spirit in the hearts and lives of ourselves and others whom he has called. But he says there's one more important result of this Holy Spirit carrying forth truth. We have become empowered witnesses to carry these things along to others so that they can teach others as well. The Holy Spirit brought forth these truths, carried them along from person to person by their eyewitness account. Peter says, that's why, that's why in verses 12 through 15, that's why I will continue, even if it bores you, even if you roll your eyes, I will continue to repeat them. I will continue to remind you until I am dead. Why? So you'll remember that these things are verified, that you have the same Holy Spirit that brought them forth to us, and that you will in turn carry them along to others when I am gone. All right, the personal section. What about us and what do we do? I want to call this section our voice from heaven. 
This was the sermon preview this week. And I got, you know, I don't know why, but there was a lot more interaction with it on this one this week. I'm just going to start putting this one up every week if everybody keeps liking it like that, you know. It says, the gospel of Jesus is a more reliable truth than any myth the world can invent. See, here's the ultimate question we're trying to answer today. At least the one that you should be trying to answer for yourself. Has God spoken to you? And if he has, has he revealed these truths? And if he has, now what? Peter makes mention of these things. He says it's a light in dark places. He says you you should do well to listen to these things as a light in a dark place until the dawn comes. He says it in chapter, uh, verse 19, second part. To which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, if you're here today with us in this room, or maybe you're home watching on the live stream, or maybe you're watching later on this week, you are probably one of those who probably don't need me to convince you very much that Jesus is reliable and trustworthy. You are more than likely someone whom the Spirit has already brought forth truth into, and by the way, the evidence really helps. By the Holy Spirit, you believe the gospel story is fully confirmed, as Peter calls it, that the world offers nothing that can compare to the joy of knowing Jesus. And as Peter says, the dark place of this world makes them even more fully confirmed that they are a light in the darkness. See, it's the darkness, and if you, the darkness, if you'll allow me, goes back to the trials that we learned about in 1 Peter. Remember those trials? First Peter was all about suffering and trials. It's the darkness where we learn how precious and how beautiful the light of the gospel is. When the things we count as precious in this world begin to be ripped from our our hands and stripped away, followers of Jesus will always know where to turn, won't we? When life begins to crumble around us, God's children know what to do. We trust in the truth that has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That truth that is fully confirmed by history, archaeology, science, theology, That Holy Spirit empowers us to cling to this gospel in a dark place until the dawn. And what is the dawn? The day we finally get to see our beautiful, trustworthy Jesus face to face. Man, I knew I believed it, but man, it's really cool to see you, Jesus. (laughs) I'm really glad. I mean, I trusted it and I knew it was real, but now I really, really know it's really real. (laughs) And if that is your relationship with Jesus, don't you think you should be one that is able to carry it forward? So this verse I'm getting ready to share with you was probably the core verse for me when I began to learn what it meant to be a disciple maker, the one I'm getting ready to... Matter of fact, my first job as a youth pastor, I named it after this verse. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that exactly what Peter's talking about? The name of my youth group was the Second Timothy 2-2 Crew. Yes, it was old and it sounds lame, but you know, there was a lot of there was some bands called crew back then or something like that, and it kind of made sense, right? The Second Timothy 2-2 crew, and, and what our goal was, we were trying to train up young people that would have this information, have this knowledge, have this passion, so they could in turn make other disciples who could teach others as well. See, this fully confirmed gospel isn't limited to apostolic or early church eyewitness accounts. That's the beauty of it. 
We have our own eyewitness accounts to speak of, don't we? Maybe we didn't hear God's voice from heaven on a mountain like Peter did. But we have heard a voice from heaven. Perhaps not an audible one. But there's no doubt that for many of us, a voice has called us out of darkness into light. With revelation that is just too powerful, if you'll allow me, irresistible to deny. And as your pastor... Let me tell you what I've witnessed and what I've seen with my own eyes. Things that nobody can dispute. I've studied God's word in depth for decades. Decades. Not just cursory readings, deep, intense study, cross-referencing other historical references, other books, other things, a lot of work. Every time, let me tell you, every time I do this, I become more empowered by the facts of its trustworthiness. I can tell you from first-hand eyewitness experience how beautiful, how powerful, how reliable God's word is. I can tell you with untold confidence, I can tell you that I have seen God's word hold up against any and every attack that I've seen launched against it in my lifetime. I haven't seen all of them, but the ones that I've seen and heard, I've seen God's word just brush them aside. I have seen God's word stand up historically. I've seen God's word stand up scientifically. I have definitely seen it stand up flawlessly in the face of philosophical attack to any type of philosophy this dark world can bring to bear. God's word always wins. But even better than all that, which is cool, I have firsthand experience, eyewitness accounts of the gospel transforming lives that had no business being transformed. In a way, no philosophy this dark world could ever offer could do. I've seen it. I have witnessed the light of the gospel pierce dark places, especially dark hearts. I have seen the gospel miraculously change people. I have seen God's truth transform all types of people from all types of darkness. I have seen the gospel through the Holy Spirit miraculously transform even the most skeptical followers of atheism into Jesus followers. I've seen it. Brilliant people. I've seen the simple, I've seen the brilliant, I've seen the rich, I've seen the poor, I've seen the powerful, I've seen the weak, I've seen the arrogant, and I've seen the broken all come to faith. But you know what? I'm not special that I've seen all this. It's the Holy Spirit that has brought this truth forth. And you know what? I'm not the only one to experience these things. You have as well. You've seen it too. The Spirit of God has brought these things forth through faithful witnesses. Some of them told you about it one day. And now we must carry them along as well. And through the Holy Spirit, that's what I, what we will do, because we have this fully confirmed word until the day we die, we are going to carry it forward through the Spirit, to all who have ears to hear. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that your truth is fully confirmed. 
I'm so thankful that our faith isn't blind faith. It's true that we're blind in the fact that we haven't seen you face to face, but the evidence of what you have done and what you've said and how you have changed lives is undeniable. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for the miracle that is your word. It's not a coincidence that it is the most attacked book in the history of mankind. It's also not a coincidence that it's the most widely read book of human history. It's because it's a miraculous work of truth. All scripture that has been inspired and God breathed into the hearts of men who wrote it. Men mostly who didn't even know each other. Over the course of thousands of years, this beautiful, fully woven narrative together that points us to the gospel of Jesus. And then all the history behind it, Lord, we're so thankful that our faith is fully confirmed. Now with that, Father, we ask that you would give us the courage and the inspiration necessary through the Holy Spirit to be those who carry it along to others so that they can teach others as well. And as we go through the rest of this series and we start looking in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of all the things that Peter says we should remember about our faith, we pray, Father, that you would help us to be disciplined, to come up with ways to remember it. But lastly, Father, we just want to thank you that you haven't left us to our, left us to our own devices. You have called us, inspired us, and enlightened us. We pray that you would do that each day as we seek to even more fully confirm the reliability of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys have a great week. Go forward knowing you have a fully confirmed truth that resides in your hearts.